0: Journey Church. So the video introduces me, but I get the privilege of introducing Assistant Chief Jimmy Johnson. Uh, come forward please. <laughs> uh, Assistant Chief's going to talk to us a little bit about a program called Faith in Blue. Uh, and I am pretty excited about it. And I'm going to step out of the way so I can hear what you have to say.
1: Okay. Uh, my, my name is to everybody, I come 10 feet, and I start getting nervous, so forgive me as I stumble through this, and, and also, first thing I want to apologize, if we took anybody's seats this morning, the, uh, you know, G- Jesus told us that the uh, the only unforgivable sin is blasphemy the Holy Spirit, and I, and I believe that, but taking somebody's seat's got to be pretty high up on the list, so you can ask my wife about that at our regular service, but uh, uh, I, I've been with the police department for 35 years. This year is the first year we're, that we're participating in Faith in Blue. It's a new initiative. It's, it's been out a couple of years. It, it, it started kind of at the height of all the civil unrest that we saw over the last several years in different cities. Um, it, it was a It's an initiative that was developed through faith-based leaders and law enforcement leaders together. We're in, in, it's an it's a initiative that recognizes that the hub of any community is the church gotten away from that. But it gives us a chance in law enforcement uh, to work with the church and kind of do community outreach. So uh, what we did is we reached out to different churches and journey. Thank you for inviting us in. That's why we're here. I'm not going to talk very long, but I will stick around after the service if anybody has any questions or anything. Uh, We may be late for lunch, but Dallas has not play till 7, so we're we're good there. Um, (laughs) I uh, I, I've been very blessed uh, I was born and raised in Amarillo. I've been a cop here my entire adult life. And uh, last year, I had a chance to go to the FBI National Academy. It's, it's something only uh, less than 1% of law enforcement officers ever get to, get, get to do, so I was very thankful to do it. Uh, we were up at Quantico, Virginia for three months, uh, and I was there with 255 other law enforcement officers. Every state in the union was represented, and we had 17 foreign countries. Represented at the National Academy, and I can tell you that uh, there is not a better place in the world to be a cop than the state of Texas, and there is not a better place in Texas to be a cop than Amarillo and the Texas Panhandle. And I, I, I took that for granted for a lot of years, just assumed ever everybody had that same support, and they do not. It, never in my wildest dreams did I ever think I'd see cities actually taking a vote to decide whether they needed a police department or not. I, I couldn't believe that was happening, and, and I was shocked by it. But uh, it's not that way, in i really—we have a community that supports their police department. We have a community that prays over their police department, and we appreciate that very much. And uh, I don't take that for granted anymore. I don't let my guys take it for granted anymore, because uh, I know how fragile that is. We've worked extremely hard to develop that trust y'all I have. we're going to keep doing that and everywhere we go uh, at least two or three times a week whether I'm at church a restaurant, a grocery store, somebody will come up to me and say hey thank you for your service, thank you for your service, try to buy a meal uh, (laughs) it's very humbling but I want to take this opportunity to say thank you thank you for the unwavering support, thank you for your trust that you've had in me that I could serve you for the last 35 years. It means a lot to me, I appreciate that. And I appreciate, I appreciate the prayers. And every time somebody prays over us, they pray for our safety, physical safety, and we need those prayers. It is a dangerous job, if it wasn't, they'd have firemen doing it. But, uh, (laughs) I apologize to any firefighters out there, I, I love you guys. But, <laughs> but I, I do have one request. When, when you pray for us, keep those prayers for our physical safety. We need those. But, uh, we, you know, you may, you may get in a handful of actual fights in a, in a career, some, some minor fights, but actual fights for your life, those are actually pretty rare. But we do need the prayers, prayers, of protection. But our spiritual fitness, our, our spiritual safety is under attack every single day, on the job, off the job, just like it is for you all. So I, I'm asking when you do have those prayers for us, will you please include the prayers for our spiritual things? I appreciate that. Uh, I'm going to go sit back down, and then uh, I'll talk with you all after church if anybody wants. Thank you.
0: want to I want to pray for, for Jimmy, but also for, for his wife and for their spiritual lives and, and for uh, all of our police community, um, they, they, they struggle with a lot. There, there's a lot you've got to put up with and a lot you've got to do. And like you said, uh, the enemies, of course, he's going to attack police and, and law enforcement and first responders and firefighters because uh, if, if he can get them not doing their jobs, then it's a lot easier for him to do what he wants to do. So uh, anybody from staff or leadership, uh, if you can come forward, I want to I wanna pray. And I'll just hang out here until everybody gets here because I don't care. Yeah, come on up, come on up. April, you're going to have to use the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on up.
1: This, this is my wife, Dawn, by the way. She's got should put moving up
0: for her Jesus, we thank you uh, for Jimmy and for Dawn. And and for our other law enforcement uh, here in the building, but also just in our community in general, Amarillo and, and Randall and, and Potter and, and Canyon and all over the place, Lord. Like, they need your protection, as you mentioned that, that, yes, that physical protection, and, and all of that is, is of vital importance, and we do pray for protection over them, uh, over their lives, uh, but we also pray for their marriages. Um, Lord, if, 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 if people could build strong marriages, then they are such a light to the community. So we pray for strong marriages. We pray for protection over their families. Uh, emotionally and spiritually and physically as well. We pray for protection for everything that they need. We pray for uh, that as they go out, they, they see you and they represent you in the community. Lord, your word speaks over and over and over again about the importance of those who protect the community to, to defend uh, the fatherless, to look after the widows and the orphans. And that is not just a, a spiritual thing, Lord, because they, we create these divides. So we pray for protection over these who are trying to serve and protect our community and and keep things orderly. Uh, We pray for their marriages, their families, their lives. We pray for the others, uh, just that they would be lights and witnesses. And most importantly, Jesus, that they would see you in everything that they do as they go out to to be in the community, that they're first seeing you, that you are the object of their eyes, that you're the focus that they see, and that in that they reflect that well, Jesus. Uh, So we thank you for them, and we pray blessings over them and all that they do, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, good brother. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, sir. We've got one more thing before we jump into this new series this morning that I am incredibly excited about. Uh, If you're on social media, then you know how excited I am. I bought signs. Um, I wanted to buy cards maybe next week. I got to limit my spending. That's why we're going to talk about budget first. Uh, (laughs) And you think I'm joking. Uh, (laughs) I'm not. No, I want to talk about the budget real quick. We're going to start doing kind of like a quarterly budget update. And because budget's not a bad word, um, it's not uh, its not even a four-letter word because there's six in there. Um, it's, it's a good word. A budget is important. Um, y- I joke sometimes, but uh, my wife will tell you, neither one of us really grew up with um, <sighs> financial knowledge. Um, it wasn't something we really, that was instilled in us uh, as we were growing up. So when we started to understand the importance of having a budget and financial knowledge, it was like, this makes sense, uh, and our life is better for it. Um, so, we're not going to spend a lot of time. I just want to give, you know, quick updates. Uh, the budget is a bad news, good news, bad news situation. It's like a sandwich. You only want to eat the, the middle part though. Um, the bad news is, is we're a little bit lower than we expect it to be uh, with weekly offering and everything. If we can pull up that slide, um, and I apologize. I know I'm out of order here. Um, so, it, we can just go through the slides. Uh, but the, the good news is, the staff here is amazing. They are frugal, they are cheap, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, you have no idea. Um, like, we were talking the other day, so we, we bought the signs, right? And so, Julie and I went up to Home Depot and we're like looking at stuff like, we got the signs, got them at a great deal. It was like a hundred and, I forget what it was. It was supposed to be some big number. We got them like super cheap from a company called like Cheap Signs or something. Um, and then we're trying to figure out how to install them in the ground and like, Julie and I were walking around Home Depot and we're like pricing out like PVC versus metal conduit versus copper poles, and we're very frugal as a staff, so even though we're lower than we expected to be, uh, the staff is doing great and we're keeping the expenses really low. Uh, The bad news is is we're still a little bit low, Um, but I'm not terribly worried because I trust God completely. Um, I trust God completely with my finances at home and with the church's finances. And I believe that if we're being responsible with what he has given us, then he'll take care of things. Um, There is a deficit. We can pull up the deficit slide. Did Brad make one of those? I can't remember. I apologize if he didn't. Uh, That would be my fault. Um, We can make up the deficit, but there's, more importantly, moving forward, there's a way we can fix this so that we start to match what we need to spend with what we need to uh, bring in every week. Um, And so, I think. Uh, If we go to the next one that shows what, there we go. So again, the deficit is we need like $2,000 more a week. Can God do that? Absolutely. Uh, But I'm really actually more concerned with like moving forward. Um, So Brad and I were talking a couple of weeks ago. And uh, he said, you know, he thinks that like, whatever the number was he came up with, if we could make make this, we'd hit budget for the rest of the year. And I was like, well, that's great. So uh, that's what we can do is there's a way out of this but it starts with personal responsibility. So like as, as the, the lead pastor of this church, I had to sit down and go, okay, well, what can I do differently? So I decided, and then I talked to my wife about it, and she agreed with me. Um, <laughs> I handle the finances in our house, so it's easy for me to make unilateral decisions without thinking about it. Um, but I said, you know what? If we increase our giving by 1%, then this will go do our part to help the church meet its budget. And it's not huge. Uh, but, w- so we decided to increase our giving by 1%, um, and, and he- I'm hesitant to share these types of things, but it just happened this past week. So, uh, Julie's been looking for a job since we moved here. We've been here two months, she's been looking for a job. She couldn't even get an j- uh, interview at Hobby Lobby. Like, they wouldn't even get back to her, like nothing. It was just dry, it was weird. She's applied for things that, like, she is perfectly qualified for, and they were like, no. And so, it was very confusing. So we decided this week to increase our giving by 1%. Um, and that was on Monday. That This is when this goes into place. On Tuesday, she had a job interview. Tuesday afternoon, they offered her the job. Um, yeah. I tell you that to say this. God provides. And so I want to address three types of, of, of givers in the church. Um, number one is if you're a faithful, regular giver, thank you so much. I, like we... Uh, Julie was talking, uh, not my Julie, Julie Meyer was talking to somebody at one point, uh, and they said, when you, when you as a staff waste time and waste things, you're wasting people's worship. Uh, and we are committed as a staff to not waste your worship. So please know that, that anything that you give to the churches, it is something we take very seriously. Um, and so if you can increase, please do. Uh, second type is um, people who are sporadic givers. Um, I would just challenge you to be consistent with it. Uh, It doesn't mean you have to increase that number. Just be consistent and watch how God blesses your finances and your life in general when you're faithful with what he's given you. Uh, And third is if you've never given, I would challenge you to give. Uh, Again, it's not about money. It's about what you're doing with the things that God gives to you. Uh, That's the important thing. Uh, And it just so happens that we use money in this world. Um, You know, unless you're one of those people who can trade a paperclip for a house and I have no idea how that happens. Um, but so that's it, that's r- there's our budget update. Um, so enjoy. Okay, we are jumping into the new series, You Belong. Um, and I, I'm really excited to, for this, and we're gonna go through John chapter four, verses four through 26. It's a bunch of verses, I'm gonna have them all on the screen. Uh, I appreciate our tech team. Uh, we're gonna read uh, this whole, it's a whole page on my Bible. So, John chapter 4, verse 4 through 26. He had to travel through Samaria. So, he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came out to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman said, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank from, drank from it himself as well as his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water that I give him will become a wellspring of water Uh, A wellspring of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, this woman said, "Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water." Go call your husband," he told her, "and come back here. I don't have a husband," she answered. "You have said correctly. You don't have a husband," Jesus said. "For you have had five husbands, and the man you are with now is not your husband. What you have said is true." Sir, the woman replied, "I see that you are a prophet." Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say the place to worship is Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is here now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he, the word of the Lord. All right, so we're starting this new series called uh, you belong, and it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's taken from a few different, uh, a lot of stories in the Bible, uh, but we're specifically going to look at some interactions and encounters that some people had with God and faith. And the people we're going to look at are not the expected ones. They're, they're not the ones generally we expect to, to see having encounters with God and faith. Instead, what we're seeing is the ones who are the destitute, the deserted, the disenfranchised, and the ones off to the side. And this is because while God calls all people, usually the ones who hear him are the sick, the ones who are broken, the ones who are hurting, the ones who are listening for a call for someone who can say, come here, I have something to help you. Jesus says, I've not come to call the healthy, but the sick. The sick, the wounded, the infirmed are typically the ones listening for a call for healing. So we have to look uh, in this story. There's something really important here, though. Um, if you're not familiar, this is the first time Jesus reveals to anyone that he's the Messiah. Like he's very clear about it in this conversation with this woman that he is the Messiah. So we have to ask the question, what makes her so special? Like if, in, in all of the ministry building up and in all of the, that he's done so far, this is who he chooses to reveal himself to. So what makes this woman special? Well, first, she's a woman. Right? And we don't have to search hard in history to find out what kind of rights and roles women had in society. Violet McDaniel writes and says, The rabbis taught that women were not to be saluted or spoken to in the streets. They were not to be instructed in the law. Jewish women were not as restricted in public appearance as Greek women, but they didn't have the freedoms of first century Roman women. The woman of a, woman of uh, Women in this time, their testimony didn't count in court. It says, a woman is incapable, this is an ancient document saying, a woman is incapable of being a witness in any form of jurisprudence where witnesses are required. Women couldn't do anything. As a woman, she was not capable of achieving anything for herself. Add to that, she's not only a woman, but she's a Samaritan. Commentary on uh, the Samaritans tells us that the people were racially mixed and religiously, resulted from syncretism and schisms from Judaism. The Samaritans, it goes way back in history. This, this argument and this fighting between Jews and Samaritans happened when the, the, uh, the northern king of Israel fell. Right, it fell, and some of the people decided to go and intermarry with other people, which, in, according to Ju- Judaism, was very, very bad. But then they started to mix their religion as well. And so the Jews didn't like the Samaritans at all. They considered them heretics and unclean ethnically, religiously, and socially. There was nothing about them that they liked. In verse 9, it tells us that Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Right, and Samaritans were unclean, but not just unclean. Listen, we, we, we don't think unclean a lot in our society today. We don't really have standards of clean and unclean. But there are some people that we, if, we, if we thought about it, we would say, oh, unclean, I get it. Samaritans were completely unclean. Religiously, they were heretics and false worshippers. They only believed in the first five books of the Bible, and they were not included in any activities. So as a Samaritan, she was worshipping wrong. She was unfaithful in relationships. She'd either been married and divorced five times or just living with six different men. Uh, and that's, that's pretty bad. Even in our modern day, we'd go, that's a lot, Right? Six times? Uh, right? She was a sinner in every possible way, which is why she was at the well getting water in the middle of the day. You don't go do that in the middle of the day, okay? Think there's, a, there's something you need, a well you need to go draw water from here in Amarillo in August. Are you going to go at 1 o'clock in the afternoon? No. You're just going to be thirsty. <laughs> That's fine. I get some water tomorrow. It's not a big deal. She had no other choice but to go then. Her own people who were unclean didn't even want to associate with her. Like, how, how outcast of society do you have to be that the people who are outcast from society go, oh, that one? Oh, we don't associate with her. Right? She was, she knew who she was, and, and, and she had nothing going for her. According to culture, religion, and history, she was unclean, unlovable, and unwelcome. And this, is who Jesus chooses to reveal that he's the Messiah to. This is who Jesus comes to. Why? Because I believe that her story is our story. Jesus addresses her problems. He, it says that he had to go through Samaria. And if you, again, if you understand, this is why I love church history and history in general, if you uh, understand the split between uh, uh, the Jews and the Samaritans, then you don't have to go through Samaria. You don't have to go there. You go around. There's no reason to go there. There, there are certain streets, right, where I, I'm sure even Jimmy could tell us. Like, when you think about, like, oh, if you need to get from this side of town to this side, yeah, you could cut through that road, but you, you don't go that way. No, 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 no. Not if you want to keep the, the rims on your cars. No, you go around. You don't have to go there. But Jesus said he had to go there. And I believe firmly that he had to go there because he had to interact with this woman. First thing Jesus does is Jesus addresses her religion. And because her story is our story, I think we could also say that we all have some form of religion or worldview that we're dedicated to. She says to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jesus responds, if you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. She was focused on who she was, she was focused on who people said she was, and Jesus was focused on her. He wants the conversation to be about what he can provide and how he can do something inside of her. But remember, and this is important because culturally you have to understand this, and I'm, I'm still racking my ba- brain trying to find the best appropriate way to explain it in our society. But she was unclean. She had no business. It, it's hard, unless you're, you know, addicts get it. If you're a former addict, then some of the things I'm talking about, you're getting. When I talk about unclean and being unclean, you go, oh, no, I know the feeling. Addicts get it. She was unclean. She knew it. Culture told it to her. Everything about it, she knew that she was unclean. Jesus makes this statement that I can put living water inside of you. That's not possible if you're unclean. Leviticus 15.12 tells us that any clay pot that a man with discharge touches must be broken, while any wooden utensil must be rinsed with water. That sounds obscure, but there's a reason. The Old Testament teaches us a lot about what's clean and unclean and what to do with things that are clean and unclean. If something is unclean and it's a clay pot, you just break it. Whatever. Smash it. Get it out. Don't worry about it. We'll deal with it later. We'll just clean up the mess and throw it away. Something like a wooden spoon, a utensil, is is worth the time to clean it. So what you would do is you would take living water, running water, fresh water, and you would rinse this thing and you would clean it. And all of a sudden, it would be ritually clean again. Jesus is telling her, you're not the clay pot. You're not something that can be broken and discarded. You are valuable. And I will put the living water life inside of you. That is a huge statement. And if you're unclean, that makes you retreat. Because we don't think that we can have things living inside of us. We're broken, we're dirty, we're horrible. No, so what does she do? She responds by retreating to her religion in verse 11. And then Jesus reminds her that she keeps coming to the well of her religion because it doesn't satisfy her. See, we all have a religion or a worldview or a comfort or something that we retreat to when we're approached with truth. And even if we don't like it, we retreat there because we know it, right? What's the old saying? The devil you know is better than the one you don't. How many people spend time at at a bad job? They just can't stand because at least I know what to expect here. We settle all of the time as human beings. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you to settle. I wanna put life, life inside of you. She starts to see, but she doesn't fully get it yet. So Jesus addresses her sin. And again, her story is our story, and we all have a past or a sin nature that needs to be addressed. Jesus is so good that he wants this woman to know that she belongs, and he has to address her sin to do that. Remember, she had been married and divorced five times or just living with six different men. That's huge. But here's the thing too, nobody gro- no, we've all seen little kids, right? There's so, life, uh, so much life in them, they're, they're happy, they're carefree, they're running around, they're skipping, like, we, like walk out here afterwards, we'll go into the foyer, we'll see all these little kids running around. None of them is going, oh, I can't wait to just be living with six different men over the course of my life. No little kid is going, oh, I can't wait to be hooked on drugs, it's going to be fantastic nobody does that. Here's the thing. When, when if we're going to be people who, who want to see life transformation and want to see change in people's lives, then we have to address sin. But every drug addict I've ever met has a story of abuse or trauma or something that has happened, and that's why they turn to Everybody I've ever met who's got some gutter alley story has a story before that that talks about what happened to put them in that position. Because if we want to be like Jesus and and address sin and help people see life, then we have to be interested not just in the story, but the story behind the story to bring hope and healing and life to people like Jesus did. Jesus tells her to call her husband because he wants her to understand that she can have the living water but on the master's terms." And again, she starts to retreat into her religion because people always retreat to their foundational beliefs. Again, this is why if we want to see life change, it has to be from a place of love for people. Science and the Bible show us time and time again that our brains are designed to change through love. We talk oftentimes about like, oh, I'm a left brain, I'm a right brain, I did that backwards, but whatever. I saw that as my hand started to move, I didn't have time to do the the thing. Um, We talk about right, left brain, right brain, but you're not one side of your brain or the other. Both sides of your brain are actively working and doing what they're supposed to do. And the right side of your brain, in this moment even, all of us, six times per second, is scanning the environment and scanning the room going, do I belong? Am I welcome? Do they love me? Am I accepted? Is this a safe place? Your brain's asking these questions constantly. Jesus wants her to understand that she is accepted, that she is loved, that she is safe, that she is secure. So he's addressing both sides of her, the totality of who she is. Jesus is addressing her sin problems because he wants her to know that yes, you have a past, but the future is better, right? So if you go to the doctor, You go to the doctor, and something's not wrong, and the doctor determines you've got some sort of uh, illness or something, some sort of fatal illness. Do you want him to be like, don't worry about it. It's cool. Everything will be fine. Your house is on fire. You want the fire department to show up and be like, listen, the house is on fire, but it's cool. You do you. No, you want somebody to tell you the truth. We address sin because we love people. In this church, again, we will call sin what is sin, holy what is holy, and we'll do it in love and a desire for goodness and wholeness and beauty and blessing for people. Jesus addresses her true desire because we're all looking for some sort of form uh, of salvation. Jesus is finally able to get her to be where she needs to be when she says, I know the Messiah is coming. Again, she falls back on her religion, but this time the truth of what she's actually talking about comes out. She's hoping that the Messiah would be coming, and that when he does, she's re- he's going to reveal true and pop- proper worship. How do we know this? Because the Samaritans were expecting the Messiah to be the Tahib. This is promised back in Deuteronomy chapter 18. It talks about how their God will send another one, like Moses, to be a true prophet. To instruct the people on how to worship, to instruct the people of what proper worship is and what, what goodness is. And to that, Jesus finally responds that's who I am. People are looking for salvation. We're all looking for salvation all the time, all around us. We do it in, in friends and in fame and politics and money and success and all these things. What, whatever we can find that'll help save us. I don't think I've told you guys the story. If I have, Back in Knoxville, I have a bad habit of picking up hitchhikers. Um, Yes, I know, bad habit. (laughs) Uh, My wife doesn't like it. She told me not to do it anymore. So I stop (laughs) for the most part. I don't do it anymore. My wife got mad at me. No more picking up hitchhikers. You never know who's going to be crazy. So I said, okay, fine. I won't pick up hitchhikers and strangers and crazy people anymore, if you knew some of the people that sit in my car. All right, so I'm not doing this anymore. I am out doing DoorDash one night, one of my three jobs I had at the time. I'm doing my DoorDash, I'm driving around, and my wife calls me. I'm like, oh, this is pleasant, and she says, hey, that's never good. Like, the phone call starts, hey, not how are you, not I love you, but hey. She says, Ruby is a friend of ours, uh, she's over at the Dollar General, and there's these two guys. They're really sketchy. She's getting kind of freaked out. Can you go pick them up and bring them home? (laughs) I'm like, what happened (laughs) to no more picking? Now you're calling me. I do door dash, not people dash. (laughs) So anyway, I'm like, sure. So I get over there and uh, it's a crazy story. And so I, I park and I start walking up and I see this one dude like head off behind the building. Whatever. There's, th- there's two guys. I'm supposed to be picking up two sketchy looking dudes. There's two sketchy looking dudes. So I start walking over and this dude comes out from behind the building. Takes shirt off. He's coming up all puffed up and ready to fight. And I'm like, are you Phoenix? And he's like, oh, yes. <laughs> he's like, I, I saw you walking over. I thought we were going to throw down. And he's like, this wasn't going to end well for me. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. So anyway, I get them in the car and I gonna dr- drive them from, from one side of Knoxville to the other. They wanted to get, it was n- late, so they wanted to get to where the bus runs inside the city. And most of the drive there, the guy, one of the guys, the other one, he's strung out on, I didn't even know what. He was singing along to Mercy Me in the car with me, and he, eh, weird. But the other guy just kept talking about, if we can just get to the bus line, we'll be safe. Like, that was salvation in his mind. We just need to get to the bus line. So I realized he needs salvation. So we tar- start talking about Jesus Christ talking about what truly saves we're all looking for salvation all the time salvation and money is about security salvation and fame is about uh, being seen salvation and relationships is about belonging we're longing and searching for belonging and salvation and all along god is saying you belong with me the illegal drug industry makes 360 billion dollars a year The porn industry makes $12 billion a year. Self-help books are about $10 billion a year. People are spending billions to feel accepted, loved, and find salvation. But when we can be honest about what we're looking for, we can hear the master say, that's me. I'm the thing you're really looking for. She's waiting for the Messiah to come. He shows up and says, it's me. We're going to close up. The band can come up. Um, Jesus addresses the totality of her life because he wants her to understand that she can worship God with no restrictions or hesitations. He says to her, but an hour is coming and is here now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, The Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. When we come before God knowing that he sees us and everything about us, every dark secret, everything you're too scared to share with anyone else, Everything you've done that you've forgotten and the things that you remember. When, when he comes and he says, I know everything that you've done. I know everything that's happened to you. I know the results of all those things. You belong. I accept you. I've made you clean. I've washed you in my blood. Then we can worship in freedom with no hesitation. God knows it all. He sees it all. He's been there through all of it. And he still says, just come to me because you belong. So he says, confess your sin, confess your need for him, confess that Jesus is Lord and live. We're going to have people up front and we'll have people in the back for prayer. If you need prayer, you're welcome to come forward. You can worship in your seats. You can, again, come forward for prayer. You can come forward and pray by yourself. You can find somebody else to pray for you. As we're going through this entire series, the most important thing for us to know is that we belong. And that when we're looking for salvation and hope and, and security, Jesus is saying, I, I have it. And I don't, I, I don't know why, because it's, it's hard sometimes If you're a follower of the Messiah, standing on this side of the cross, we're looking back going, why did I ever fight that so much? But on the other side, we come up with all sorts of excuses of why we can't just approach the one who's saying, I love you, I'm inviting you, you're welcome, you belong, I want you, I desire you. Why we fight that, I don't know. I know we've got our own good reasons, but I I can tell you with 100% certainty, certainty, once you start standing on the other side of that and you've just let those things go, you look back at your excuses and you go, well, that was just nonsense. So I guess my encouragement to you today, but also in this time of response, is to just put down your nonsense and just try. Just say, okay, Jesus, you say, I belong. And I'm I'm not talking like if you don't know Jesus. I'm talking all of us. Because to write something like this, to, 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 to examine something like this, to look at the woman of the well and say, Jesus, that's me as well. is for me to put my life at that moment on display in front of him as well and go, Jesus, do I still belong? Do you still want all of me? And every time he goes, yes. You're a mess, but I like you. So I just encourage you to respond as the Lord